Mark, come up. Mark's gonna, we've, as you know, we've, uh, well last weekend we were in Canada, in Winnipeg. And, uh, uh, we had an amazing time. They asked us to do a conference called Kingdom, well we called it, I think, no, what did they call it? Oh yes. <laughs> uh, well it was called Kingdom Perspectives. We took the theme, Mark had a prophetic word about us taking a theme on momentum. So we kind of preached into, how do you get kingdom momentum? And uh, now we need to preach it to you, so you've got it as well. No, no, no. <laughs> and uh, we had great fun doing it. They are such a hospital, hospitable group of people. I think we went out for meals about four, four occasions, didn't we? We have now both eaten bison, <laughs> as you can see from our physique. And uh, a strange fish called pickerel. Which sounds like pickled something or other, doesn't it? But it's actually a fish that swims in Lake Winnipeg. Uh, we walked on the water. Uh, I did mean to get the technology right and get the picture of you, but maybe we'll show you this later. Uh, we, in fact, not only did we walk on the water, we drove out on the water in a car uh, onto Lake Winnipeg. Lake Winnipeg, by the way, is uh, bigger than the size of England. Um, and uh, we were at the narrow end, so we could actually see the shore on the other side, but if you look north, it just kind of disappeared into the distance, and we were on a meter of ice. It was great fun, wasn't it? And, uh, but everywhere we went, um, literally everywhere, they, they, we got this reputation, didn't we? Couldn't, you couldn't get us out of the restaurants. Um, it's a bit like my wife was shopping. I'd be walking along, and suddenly <laughs> I'm talking to myself, you know. So Mark's a bit like that. You're walking along, and suddenly he's like, back there somebody because God's told him somebody's name or something, some strange habit like that. And uh, Anyway, I'll ask Mark to give us a couple of examples of divine appointments in Winnipeg okay. or on the trip. So, so there's quite a few, so I'm just trying to think about which two to pick on. It's worth saying, but between the time we parked the car at Heathrow and landed at Winnipeg Airport, we'd seen two people healed, called the gold out in two believers and a laid hands on an unbeliever to encounter the presence of God. So that was just, it was just amazing, really. So, so you send two evangelists out, something's going to happen. So um, there was one lady, we were, we were walking to the departure gate at Heathrow Terminal 2, and it was unusually quiet. I think we were in the, the back end of the, the people going in. And as I walked up to this lady, I felt the presence of God down my, my leg. And I said to the Air Canada Grand Crew, I work for an airline, you probably wouldn't know that term. Um, do, do you have pain here? And she looked at me and she said, are you a doctor? How would you know that? So I said to her, God's told me. And then she looked at me again and asked me the same question. And I said, no, God's told me because he cares about you yeah. and wants to heal you. At which point she pulled out a, a necklace with a cross on it and her eyes started to well up. And she said, I had that pain, I think it was 20, 24, 48 hours ago for the first time. And I wasn't able to walk on it, and it was excruciating. And we just got to pray for her, um, that God would heal her. And what was amazing was, is no one else came up to the queue until we prayed for her and walked into the aircraft. It was like God, God stopped time. And it was that kind of mission where that sort of thing happened quite regularly. And there was um, the other story worth telling is we were, we were walking up some stairs to go on top of the shopping centre in the middle of Winnipeg to look out over the city. It's a very beautiful view, and we bumped into uh, an old friend of one of the church leaders that was with us, and they were just catching up, and she had a sling on because she had an operation, so we offered to pray for that. Um, and then God started to give me a download about her husband, and I said to her, him even, um, 
are you thinking about getting a new role in the company you're in? And he looked at me, and he looked at his wife, a bit shocked, and he looked back at me and said, we were just talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then David and I then went on to share some other prophetic things that we got, and then he looked at us both and said, you're starting to freak me out. <laughs> um, but we just, again, we just affirmed who he was and how God saw him and just, just, just prayed for him. It was, it was, it was really exciting. So. It's very good, isn't it? Excellent. A little bit closer to home, Emily's got something to share with us. I had a fun week this week. Um, on Thursday, I had a delivery um, from Sainsbury's come around. So um, the guy brought the stuff into our, into our house, and he had another fellow with him. Um, so I was like, oh, I get two of you today. And he says, yeah, my back's really sore, so this man's doing all the lifting, all the carrying. And you could tell he was quite pained at the thought of it as well, you know, like a bit, you know, it's a hard thing to have to admit, to have to have this help. And you could see he looked actually in pain as well. So they were just, well, we were unloading, and I just said, oh, tell me more. Um, So he'd had this pain for about 18 months or so, and um, what else did he say about it? I can't remember now. Um, Yeah, and then we just kept unloading. I I signed, you know, as you do on the little box thing. And then I said, well, look, I'm a Christian, and um, I love praying for people to get better, and I often see that happen. So would you like me to pray for you? And at that point, he was like, "Mm, very unsure about this idea. And I just remember saying to him, look, what have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose, have you? You've got nothing to lose. And I basically just said that, and he was like, okay. So I prayed for him. And uh, just prayed my best prayer and just like speaking about the goodness of God over him, that God had abundant life for him and God does not want this situation in his back. So he just released healing um, and finished the prayer. I either forgot or chickened out. I can't remember which one it was, but to check whether he was all right. And um, then they kind of packed their stuff up and were about to go. And, and the man was like, well, you know, it's not going to change anything. I actually damaged my vertebrae. It's, gonna, it's very serious. And I'm like, well, you just never know. Nothing's impossible. I just kept saying that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it just lingered in his head. And, and we said goodbye. And um, that was the end of it. And I've prayed for a couple of delivery guys before. And that was the end of that. But this time, two hours later, I got a phone call from the Sainsbury's Depot. And they said, excuse me, madam, do you live at number whatever, Adiva Road? And I said, yes. And are you the one that prayed for so-and-so? Let's call him Dave. And I said, yes. And, and she said, well, the funniest thing happened. He's walking around in much less pain than before. Significantly less. Jesus is so good. Oh, my goodness. And she said, I'm just wondering if we might be able to give your telephone number to him in case he'd like to contact you. Would that be okay? And I said, yes, that would be fine. (laughs) So, yeah, it's so much fun. Jesus is just so good. He just wants to do everybody good, doesn't he? So it's just being that conduit for him. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's go for coffee now. I mean, That was a sermon, really, in, in those two kind of examples, isn't it? I just want to commend Mark for, uh, you know, he was absolutely brilliant in Canada. And that's not just me saying that. Uh, I would I'd want to say that anyway, but the guys there were just blown away with him. Uh, I think the best strap line, wasn't it, is, it's great to have an evangelist who doesn't shout at you. you know, so. <laughs> and uh, he's just got such a natural way of, you know, just encouraging us, uh, you know, that it's normal. Uh, and it's easy, really. Um, 
And uh, this morning, this morning I was going to preach on something else, but I thought I'd take an evangelistic theme. And um, so we're going to look at, I've, I've entitled this morning, He is not a domestic Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right, He is not a domestic Holy Spirit. While you're thinking about that, here's a nice little story. Two cars are waiting at a spotlight. The light turns green, but the man in the first car doesn't notice it. A woman in the car behind him watches the traffic pass around them. She begins pounding on her steering wheel and yelling at the man to move. He doesn't move. The woman is going ballistic inside her car, ranting and raving at the man, pounding on her steering wheel and dashboard, and then the light turns yellow. She begins to blow the car horn, flips him off and screams at him. The man hearing the commotion looks up, sees the yellow light and accelerates through the intersection just as the light turns red. The woman is beside herself, screaming in frustration as she misses her chance to get through the intersection. As she is still in mid-rant, she hears a tap on her window and looks up into the barrel of a gun held by a very serious-looking policeman. The police officer tells her to shut off her car while keeping both hands in sight. She complies, speechless at what is happening. After she shuts off the engine, the police officer orders her to exit her car with her hands up. She gets out of the car and he orders her to turn and place her hands on her car. She turns, places her hands on the car, on the car roof and is quickly cuffed and hustled into the patrol car. She is too bewildered by the chain of events to ask any questions and is driven to the police station where she is fingerprinted, photographed, searched, booked and placed in a cell. After a couple of hours, a police officer approaches the cell and opens the door for her. She is escorted back to the booking desk where the original officer is waiting with her personal effects. He hands her the bag containing her things and says, I'm really sorry for this mistake. But you see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, flipping that guy off and shouting at the car in front of you. And then I noticed the Choose Life license plate holder. And what would Jesus do? And follow me to Sunday school, bumper stickers, and chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. So I naturally assumed you had stolen the car. <laughs> I'll be careful, I'm going to go into one of those Martin moments, so I'm just laughing all the <laughs> So what kind of witness are you? <laughs> Actually, it's, it's, it's the toughest place to be a Christian behind the steering wheel. Haven't you found that? I do that transition where I'm saying, come on, granddad, get out of the way, get out of the way. And then suddenly I realize I am a granddad. Uh, so, turn with me to your Bibles. <laughs> Just have a look. We won't, don't put the text up yet, um, Jane, thank you. <laughs> but we can just be, just open your Bible at John chapter 16. We're just going to have a look at the work of the Holy Spirit. We called this morning, he's not a domestic Holy Spirit, not to suggest for one moment that he doesn't do things in our lives. You know, that's the domestic bit. But I wanted a kind of snappy title that would, uh, you know, make you think. So I've called it, he's not, in fact, really the, the title should be, he's not just a domestic Holy Spirit. 
But actually, for domestic reasons, that is, you know, for you as an individual, he's, he's a great guy, isn't he? I remember several years ago, the Holy Spirit <coughs> saying to me, David, I'm a person, not a doctrine. Right? I'm a person, not a doctrine. <clears throat> and I think the Holy Spirit loves doctrine. Right, he told me. <laughs> and uh, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> but he's not. He's, he goes beyond that. Doctrine's helpful. Doctrine puts boundaries around, you know, appropriate boundaries about what we believe so that we don't fall into error. That's what doctrine's for, really. But actually, doctrine is only there to point to us to the rea- or point us to the reality of the things that it's talking about. So the Holy Spirit is a person, isn't he? And the Holy Spirit does amazing things in us as individuals. So we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cries, Abba, Father, into our hearts and brings us into sonship, royal sonship with the King. The Holy Spirit pours out his fruit into our lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I thought I missed one in the middle. All right. I used to be good at quoting that. Did you count nine? Who was counting? Anybody? All right. There should be nine. Go back and check it. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He does all that in our lives, doesn't it? And it's wonderful. That's the personal work of the Holy Spirit, and there's, there's more to that, and you can have more of that. And then, of course, there's the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. It's amazing when we gather together for worship just to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit will pour out himself in our worship, in our corporate gatherings. You know, just being the church is a Holy Spirit miracle. It's the Holy Spirit that creates the body of Christ. All those born-again people coming together to become part of the body. But once you've described the individual work of the Holy Spirit and then the corporate work of the Holy Spirit, is that all there is? Is he just domestic? Is he just for Christians? And is he just for the church? And we may not believe that that's the limit of the work of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes through our actions, that's how we live, isn't it? Probably every decline in history in the church is because the church has done something with the Holy Spirit to limit the scope of his action. So we do one or two traditions here. So in their Catholic tradition, they would say that their danger is you make, make the Holy Spirit captive to the sacraments. In other words, you can only get the Holy Spirit go for, by going through certain sacraments. That's not exclusive to the Catholic Church, but it's a particular orientation of the Catholic Church. The Protestant Church isn't always much better. So the Holy Spirit, you know, since the Reformation, we've had an emphasis on God's word, but charismatics included have restricted the Holy Spirit to the word. The word has been so emphasized and the word is precious, the Holy Spirit wrote it. But sometimes people have ended up believing, as you probably heard people say, in Father, Son and Holy Bible. Which tends to mean that they are limiting the power of the Holy Spirit. That shouldn't be the case. But regrettably, certain interpretations of the Bible have led to a restriction on the Holy Spirit. Joe used a lovely phrase this morning when she introduced worship. Didn't she? she said, feel the freedom. 
Right? I said to her, that was a lovely phrase, and she couldn't remember just saying it. But, uh, you know, you feel the freedom, don't you? When people come amongst us here, they feel the freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, isn't there? It's actually a mark of the Holy Spirit that there's freedom in worship, freedom to serve, freedom to give, freedom to do all sorts of things which otherwise we wouldn't be able to do or do quite in its fullness. So the Holy Spirit can sometimes simply be trapped. If you wanted to, I don't know much about the Orthodox Church, but the place I was reading about it, there's the Orthodox Church's problem as often that it's restricted the realm of the Holy Spirit to the sanctuary. So you can trap the Holy Spirit in the sacraments, you can trap him in scripture, and you can trap him in the sanctuary. Actually, you can do all sorts of things to trap the Holy Spirit. Not ultimately, because the Holy Spirit is, a, a, is, you know, has his own freedom. But in terms of our experience, we can end up with the Holy Spirit kind of locked in to our personal Christian life and our church life. And he doesn't get much beyond that. Actually, did the Holy Spirit start his life, if you can put it that way, start his demonstrating his life in the church? Well, no, he didn't, did he? I mean... Your Old Testament ought to teach you that because the church hadn't arrived. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is right there at the beginning of creation, isn't he? He's there brooding over the chaos that was there before the world was made, before the universe was made. He He is a massive, powerful Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit of God. And there he is, helping in the creation, along with the Father and the Son, of course. Because the creation is made through Jesus and for Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's great to have that picture. The next time you see Brian, you know, Professor Brian Cox doing his stuff on, you know, stars in the universe, you knew who, you knew who, you know, you know who made that. And actually he's not even restricted by his universe. And that's billions of galaxies. This is the Holy Spirit who we worship. This is the Holy Spirit that we enjoy. This is the Holy Spirit who's out there. Not only has he made creation, he sustains creation. So the very fact that you have life in your body is a result, not of biology, essentially. Because actually biology doesn't actually know what is the essence of life. People have been searching for that for years. What's the essence of life? I mean, we know what, how the heart works, the lungs work. We can explain it to you. You can do a doctorate in it. You can mend people if you're a doctor and all those sort of things. But we don't actually know what life actually is, the essence of life. Why, you know, what's the, what actually brings somebody alive? So you can have a physical body and it can look perfectly well, but it's not. Fully alive. <laughs> that happens to me about 10 to 12 on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm not fully alive. No, just in case you're not, not awake at that point. The Holy Spirit gives life. He sustains life. And actually he's going to transform the whole of life. So we're on a journey. When we pray for heaven to come down to earth. We're on a journey that's going to lead eventually to the Total transformation of the whole universe. When the new heaven and the new earth arrive, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's massive, isn't it? How does he find time to do it all? How does he find time for you? And yet, of course, he does. 
So in the process of changing around the whole of creation, he has time, moment by moment, to hear every prayer and to answer every prayer that you're going to pray. Because he intercedes with the Father for us. Sometimes we groans which we cannot understand. Romans 8. That's our friend, the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And maybe like you, uh, maybe like me, you went through that transition when I suddenly realized Holy Spirit was just somebody asked to do stuff. You know, whether it was the fruits of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was somebody almost like, you know, sort of like a, I don't know, the owner of a supermarket where I went in and I got what I wanted. And the gracious thing about the Holy Spirit is he's always ready to give, isn't he? But he's a person that loves you. So he's called you into an intimate relationship with you and us as a church. And he's taking us on this journey and saying, come with me. Because the whole of creation is going to be transformed. When? When the sons of God are revealed. Sons of God in the sense of you and me. So every time somebody gets born again by the Spirit, we get closer, in one sense, to the renewal of all things, the new heaven and the new earth. Amen? Can we say hallelujah to that? Are you all on this journey? That's the mission of God that Pete was referring to last week, isn't it? That's why we've got to have two services on a Sunday. Right? I thought it was just to get a few more people in. Well, you know, it is about that. But it's actually because you're on this huge, huge mission that the Holy Spirit has called you into that's all part of restoring the creation, the whole of creation, to what God wants it to be. Heaven on earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And just look at how the Holy Spirit is described. How is the Holy Spirit described? Just give me one description, one metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Wind. Right? When we flew, when we flew out of, um, where was it? Oh, Winnipeg. <laughs> when we flew out of Winnipeg and got back, they said to us, you only just made it. Because there were blizzards after you left and they, they closed all the highways into the city, didn't they? So, and I imagine cancelled all the aeroplanes. They said you wouldn't have been able to fly, fly out because of the blizzards. I mean, part of me wanted to be there just to witness the blizzard. You know, in, in Canada, just kind of sweeps down. It came home to me last, last time we went out there. We were walking across the road, with, you know, in shirt sleeves. And, he, and Glenn, the church leader, said, tomorrow it could be minus 20 and two foot of snow. Whew, like that. I mean, we, we wouldn't survive, would we, in England? You know, we get two inches of snow, we panic. And, uh, <laughs> that's powerful, isn't it? You know, do you remember church days when people objected to raising your hands? Do you remember that? Anybody remember that? You go that, that far back? Dancing, waving flags. This is the Holy Spirit who blows everywhere, where he will. He's a mighty, powerful, creating, restoring, transforming Holy Spirit. He's a powerful wind, isn't he? What other metaphors are there? Fire. Is fire controllable? Well, if you kind of put it into a canister and switch on the gas, maybe. But I don't think that's the kind of fire that's pictured in Scripture, isn't it? Fire is terrible. If you live in California, you know what fire is like. It just, or Australia, just sweeps through. It just, so impossible. How about this? It's impossible to stop. So when a church gets the fire of the Holy Spirit in it, it's impossible to stop. 
Right? It's like we're on a tra- trajectory, trajectory at the moment, aren't we? And, uh, you know, two services, yeah, but what goes beyond that? Whoa! We're not aiming to slow down. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit in it. You know, when you sang that song, what was that line about being the, set a fire down in my soul, set a fire down, let's sing it, set a fire down in my soul that I can contain and I can control. Right, stop there. Just, <laughs> that was not deliberate, but that, that was good, David, no, we did that well. Even the deliberate, non-deliberate ones are funny. <laughs> you can't contain it and you can't control it. Amen? Amen. Just say with me, I cannot control the Holy Spirit. I cannot contain the Holy Spirit. You'll never complain about anything the Holy Spirit does again, will you? Even that began with C. That was, oh, I'm on a roll this morning, isn't I? Contain, control, complain. Yeah. Right, write that down. It's another sermon in another place. <laughs> this is exciting, isn't it? I mean, God is so exciting. The world thinks that God is so boring. Well, actually, probably doesn't think God's so boring as the church is boring. But we're, we're devoted to the idea that church is what the, the most exciting place to ever be. Why? Because it has the most exciting person in its midst, the Holy Spirit. He's a wind, he's a fire. What else is he? He's rain or water, yes. River, flood. Those who believe in me, John 7, 38. Thank you, Joe. Knows every scripture. <laughs> Right, you believe in me, what will happen? Streams of living water. The word there is flood, or can mean flood. It's flowing in and it's kind of flowing out, which we'll get to in a moment. It's powerful, isn't it? You could also describe the Holy Spirit as the oil of anointing. It's another metaphor. There may be others, but we won't dwell on it. It's enough to kind of expand your mind about what the Holy Spirit does and what what he, you know, I mean, do you remember the days when we got upset because somebody was on the floor shaking in the power, under the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you remember those days? <sighs> Don't know if I want to come to this church anymore. <sighs> Some really weird things happen. Now, we don't invite those manifestations for the sake of it, but they are an evidence, one evidence, of the power of the Holy Spirit coming. And there are lots of others. Lots of others, aren't there? The Holy Spirit is moving powerfully among us. But the Holy Spirit is not a domestic Holy Spirit. He's a Holy Spirit who started outside the church and continues sustaining all life out of the church and is constantly talking to people. So let's look at our passage. John chapter 16 says this. Well-known verses, but... I felt led to, to get onto them today. When he comes, that's the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus speaking. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And I like this bit. Have you noticed? This is Jesus expounding his own word. Right? So you're getting genuine Jesus expository teaching. And his three words, of course, are sin, righteousness, and judgment. In regard to sin... Because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. 
The Holy Spirit is out there doing this to everybody. He's doing such a good job, he hardly needs us. Is that true? Well, hang on, we're always talking about evangelism here, and we must have a part to play. The Holy Spirit is doing what? Convicting people of their sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's dig those, dig deeper into those a little bit. The particular sin that Jesus has in mind is because people do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit is out there convincing people to believe in Jesus. Every friend that you have, every family member that's not a Christian, every member of our society, the Holy Spirit is saying, you should be believing in Jesus. That's the tape that they have running around in their mind. A whole variety of times, I like to say all the time, but sometimes we limit that, you know, as we do, don't we? Sometimes limit the Holy Spirit because not prepared to listen. But Jesus is speaking to people. This is Jesus expounding his word. The sin that he's convicting people of is that they don't believe in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is saying, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Before you've had one divine appointment, before you prayed for anybody, before you even had one, your first word of knowledge, whoever you are speaking to, the Holy Spirit is saying to them, believe in Jesus. That would be good enough, wouldn't it? But what does Jesus say? In regard to sin, because people don't believe me, verse 10, in regard to righteousness... Because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. This is one of those verses that commentators have a lot of fun with. What does that actually mean? Well, one suggestion, and I think it's a powerful one, is that what Jesus is referring to here is his own righteousness. He's got to, he's got to leave, which means he's, he, you know, he hasn't talked about it yet, but he, well, he has, but, you know, it hasn't happened yet. He's going to die and rise again from the dead. And his resurrection would be a justification of all that he claimed to be. All the righteousness that he claimed to be. And righteousness is one of those huge biblical words that means all kinds of things. But it's, it's actually, if you think about it, it's what he, you know, so if he's righteous, everything he said is right. So everything he claimed about himself to be, you know, the great I am, to be the resurrection and the life, to be the bread of the life. He's saying here that, you know, he's going to the father in order that he might be proved right. He might be justified by his resurrection so that people will believe what he said about himself. So what's the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is convicting people of righteousness. He is convicting people that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Next time I go on an evangelistic mission, I'm just going to put my feet up and say, Holy Spirit, just get on with it. Why do you need me? I mean, I'm available, but you're doing such a good job, right? This is, this is called... Uh, Calvinistic evangelism. <laughs> I'll explain that later if you're not quite sure what that means. And, but it doesn't stop there, does it? I mean, if, you, if we approached everybody that we know and said, Do you know what, the Holy Spirit's already convicting them of believing in Jesus. He's also already convicting them about the claims of Jesus. 
what else do we need? Well, Jesus adds to it, doesn't he? Verse 11, and regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. We have a funny old sort of relationship with the word judgment, don't we? So Jesus is not here talking about your personal judgment or personal judgment. He's talking about, you know, there's going to come a day, yes, of judgment. Why? What aspect of judgment is he focusing on? Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. In other words, evil is not going to triumph. Injustice is not the final word. Jesus is coming back and Jesus is going to vindicate himself and his righteousness will be there for everybody to see. What's that message? That's a message of hope. The Holy Spirit is convincing people that there is hope. That the evil one and all his sickness and all his disease and all his injustices and all the evil that he's responsible will finally be conquered. We are in the process. Part of our job is to go and destroy the works of the evil one, isn't it? Just as Jesus did. And we're busy doing that when we pray for the sick and when we, you know, share the gospel and when we overcome oppression or whatever it is. There'll be a day when finally his kingdom comes in all its fullness. And so we hold out hope to people. That actually this world is not the end and the injustice of this world and the sins of this world are not the end. In fact, they're just the birth pangs of the greatest kingdom that has ever existed actually coming into place in our, possibly in our lifetime. But certainly at some time. So think about it. You see, we get surprised sometimes when we meet people and they say, oh yeah, I've had a church background. Or, um, you know, I mean, we had the, one of our we had two students come this week and say, we know a lady like we know a lady that does the sort of things that you do. Um, and they were referring to Carol in the in the you know the sanctuary homeless project. I thought, yes, my wife. <laughs> and you're the same, aren't you? You have friends that have got Christian friends elsewhere, and we're kind of surprised when that happens. Actually, we shouldn't be. It's Holy Spirit. He's everywhere. He's out there in the world, transforming everything. He is convicting people about believing in Jesus. He is convincing people of who he is. And he's holding out hope for them. So whenever you approach even a complete stranger, you come on the back of all that that the Holy Spirit is doing. Let me at them. (laughs) That should be our attitude, isn't it? I mean, Mark had this lovely phrase, we not only step over the chicken line, we rub the chicken line out. I think both Mark and Fiona have that phrase. We had a lady, she actually kind of went like this on the floor. The chicken line of stepping over, you know, to talk to somebody about Jesus or pray for their healing or ask them for prayer for anything. Would you like to close your eyes for a moment? One of the things the Holy Spirit loves to do, of course, is not only be talking to the world, but be talking to us. So ask the Holy Spirit to bring somebody who you know isn't a Christian to your mind. Obviously, it can be anybody. Just let the Holy Spirit present a name or a face or a person to you.
Now, before you see them again, and I'm assuming it probably is something you'll see or you could contact in some way. You can t- contact most people these days and by some means. Just let the Holy Spirit tell you what that person already knows, which kind of is the essence of what I preached this morning. But let the Holy Spirit remind you that he's been working on them since the day they were born, wooing them, loving them, presenting Jesus to them, presenting Jesus as he truly is to them, even if their ideas are not fully in line, in, you know, lined up with who Jesus actually is. And the Holy Spirit is breathing hope into their lives. And he's inviting you and me to be to be co-partners, to be partner with him, with him in that process, isn't he? Maybe in your mind's eye, you just want to link arms with the Holy Spirit, however you envisage him, and say, Holy Spirit, can we say this together, if you'd like to do it? Holy Spirit, I want to partner with you to see my friends and strangers coming into your kingdom. And I thank you that you're already talking to them about Jesus. You're already convincing them of who he is, who he truly is. And you want to breathe hope, you are, sorry, you want to breathe hope into their lives. Just pause for a moment because let the Holy Spirit Even at this moment, he might just want to give you a word of knowledge about that person. There you go. Now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are fully equipped. I think if all of us had the choice of who we'd go doing some evangelism with, You'd probably choose your best friend, wouldn't you? And Holy Spirit is your best friend. Amen.